Hi, Ms. Shari. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm looking forward to hearing all about your job. Sounds like a lot. <laughs> but before we even get into any of that, we're going to talk a little bit about your younger self. Okay. What were you like when you were 13? When I was 13, I played a lot of piano and wanted to be a rock star and wrote a lot of songs. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't gotten anyone who's said that so far. Kind yes. of surprising. So... Did you enjoy school at all? Were you Yeah, focused? I liked school. I was very involved with theater and doing musical theater, but a lot of my focus was on writing songs, playing songs, playing the piano. That was kind of my most of my world. I did a lot of recording back in the day before we had all the fancy stuff we have today. <laughs> I went on to Berkeley College of Music in Boston with the intention of becoming a rock star, which, you know, wow. I'm not a rock star. <laughs> but that's what I was passionate about writing music and playing. Yeah. Were you pressured into like, I don't know, like joining other clubs or maybe gaining new skills or anything by your parents? No, really, actually, theater provided a really good place to develop skills because you are performing, there's public speaking, there's yeah. learning how to be on a team, there's, you know, deadlines and all of those kinds of great skills that are lifelong skills. I learned by being in theater and also being in bands. Well, that wipes out pretty much all of my high school questions. <laughs> um, normally, this like takes like ten minutes to talk about like the, some of the skills, the interests, the hobbies, the classes, and it's just like I wanted to be a rock star. I wanted to be a rock star. That's it. Done. That's it. That's all I wanted. So, I'm assuming it was probably some singer or something. But did you have any role models or influences when you were Carol King? Absolutely, hands down, was the biggest influence. I just, I still love her today. She's fantastic. So, you went to school for music, but you have a degree in psychology. That's right. Yeah, there was so a shift. So, I loved Boston, but after a year and a half of studying music all the time, I found it wasn't as much fun. So I think a really good thing for your listeners to know is to just go for your dreams because I, I think I would have really regretted it if I never really went for music school because what I learned is doing music all the time actually takes all the fun out of it for me, not for everybody, but it did for me. So I liked being in Boston, so I looked around at what other schools were around and just was like psychology is pretty broad and I was always interested in human behavior just because... Being in theater and acting, mm -hmm. you know, you're looking at how do I change my behavior, my mannerisms, my voice to become this role or this character in a play. So there's a lot of psychology behind acting. Yeah. So when I went ahead and went down the street to Northeastern University and I got my degree in psychology there and I still minored in music. I was very involved with the jazz group, the jazz band there. So in fact, I've met some of the best people in my life in bands. I met my best friend in, in college there. We're still friends today. I met my husband in a band in Colorado. I mean, it's just like, you know, so music is still a very big part of my life today. Even though I didn't pursue the rock star route, <laughs> I, you know, I fell into doing psychology. But then after school was a little harder in that, then what do you do with a psychology degree? You know, usually getting yeah. a master's is the next step, but I really wasn't ready for that. So I moved back to Colorado and I lived in Boulder and literally fell into teaching. Like it was not a plan at all. <laughs> in fact, I really didn't like babysitting young kids when I was younger. I was like, that was not my jam at all. I was like, I don't mm -hmm. want kids. 
that changed. I have kids. But, but you know, when I, when I cat out and had my degree and I was in Boulder, I saw this little tiny advertisement for the WMCA camps that needed like a special kind of, can you teach jewelry? Can you teach, like, what can you teach for an hour uh-huh. and go to all the different sites? Like, I can teach theater. I can teach improvisational theater pretty easily. Tons of fun games to do. I don't know if you ever get to do improv theater with your Girl Scouts. I don't do much, like, theater with Girl Scouts, but I do do a little bit with school. There was this cool Shakespeare thing Mm -hmm. where, like, it's this big thing, and they go to a bunch of different schools and have, like, these plays, and we did Much Ado About Nothing. Oh, fun. And there was, like, this big performance, Mm -hmm. and, like, all the schools did their little performance for all the other schools. It was so cool. It's so much fun. Yeah. It is so much fun. And it's like you've got a beginning and an ending to that experience, right? And then you move on. So, yeah. So when I saw that, I thought, well, I'll just do that. (laughs) And so I just jumped into rotating around different summer camps and teaching these theater workshops. And that took off. But then the summer ended and all these kids were going back to school. And I was like, well, now what should I do? I'm like, I will just teach piano. But I'm a jazz pianist, so Mm. I taught jazz piano to kids. So I just handed out flyers to all of the classes I went to, and I ended up with my first nine students. And I just made it up on the fly of how to teach them. I'm like, I, I didn't want kids to hate practicing or hate playing, which is kind of pretty normal, like when you're teaching classical style, of like just the, the rigor around the expectations of practicing. Yeah. Everybody wants to be able to be able to play the piano without practicing, right? That's not realistic. So my goal was to get kids engaged with just playing. So I taught them how to play the blues. I taught them how to read music by writing their own music. Right. So it was a very different approach, and I did that for several years, and then I got involved with the Boulder Arts Academy, all through networking, which, you know, for your listeners, they should know networking is one of the best ways to get jobs you love. Yeah. So I networked and became the director of a performing arts camp. So it kind of evolved that in Boulder, Colorado, I ended up in music and theater, kind of like what I was doing in high school. <laughs> and what kind of age range were you teaching like, for both the theater and the piano thing? So for the piano, it ranged from anywhere from 8 years old up to like 16. And I had a lot of students that came to me after having classically been trained for two or three years. And they were ready for something different. And so I had a lot of students that fell into that category. But that's essentially, you know, the age range that I worked with. For the camps, see, our arts on stage was 7 to 12. And we had like 120 kids for four weeks. Mm -hmm. And then I developed the curriculum for that and hired staff and all that good stuff. It was super busy, super fun. It's actually, it's very interesting that you kind of like just went into the teacher thing because when I saw that you had taught in the past I thought you meant like the kinds of teachers that I see every day Mm -hmm. so it's it's very interesting to see the fact that yes tutoring is which isn't exactly what you were doing but it's still like a yeah as a piano teacher it still counts as teaching and you don't have to get like a teacher's license and all that stuff right and I was I was a teacher at an elementary school they brought me into a Montessori school to be to they didn't want to do just music they wanted it to be performing arts so I collaborated with a friend of mine that was a dance teacher and so we did a performing arts program at so during the day they didn't have music class they had Mm -hmm. performing arts class so how did your degree in psychology help with all of this 
I was really able to understand how what motivated people in terms of their behavior and actions, right? So having that foundation in psychology was really a springboard that helped me really understand how to connect with people, how to get the contracts to work at different places teaching theater, how to engage and sell so I can continue to build my business. Now, mm-hmm. that being said, you know, I met my husband in Boulder, Colorado, and then we moved to the Bay Area. And so I completely switched careers. I was kind of ready for a change, and I got my master's in marketing. And there I worked in an advertising agency. So that's where the psychology degree, they were interested in that I had that background because it's really helpful when you're a brand strategist to be in the position of trying to understand why someone picks one product over another product. Like what is the psychology behind the buying? What motivates people to buy or not buy. So I was doing a lot of things like what you're doing now. I was interviewing people. I was running focus groups. I was creating surveys. I was doing a lot of market research. And that's kind of what I fell into. Very briefly, I learned once I was working at an ad agency, I was not a fan of that workplace culture. But I did like the thinking behind it. I did enjoy studying it. So in 2001, we moved up to Portland. And I was looking around for what the next thing was. And I put out a call on a listserv, back then just listservs, you know, not much for internet yet. So I'm not a little bit of internet, but not, not as robust it is, as it is today, right? So I wanted to find where is the best place for me to land given I enjoy doing market research, I enjoy education, I like teaching, mm-hmm. and someone told me, told me about the Northwest Regional Educational Laboratory which is today called Education Northwest. Thankfully, they rebranded them. (laughs) But I started, again, those skills, the entrepreneurial skills of like, I want to do an informational interview and learn about what you all do. And so by doing that, they then know who I am. And generally, when I do an informational interview, at the end of it, they're like, well, when you're ready to work somewhere, let me know, you know, like an invitation to maybe work there. And that's what happened there. I was able to start freelancing there. Eventually a job opened up that I applied for. And that's when I learned more about what program evaluation is because it really applied my market research skills in a completely different setting. So what program evaluation is, is it works with programs like nonprofit programs or foundations, really looking at measuring, are you making the difference that you think that you're making or intend to be making? Like what is really working well in these programs and what's not working well with these programs? Like, you know, Girl Scouts, they're, they're a nonprofit, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they probably have someone doing surveys or something, gathering data to look at how, what kind of impact are our programs making, right? So we can mm-hmm. share that out with the, the yeah. community and funders. And what isn't working that we can improve upon? Like what can we learn from the data? So I got really into using data to learn became a big part of what I enjoy doing. And when I founded Evaluation Into Action in 2005, it just really kind of built and took off from there, which led to last year I released a book, and that's led to more national work. And then I do a lot of trainings, speaking at conferences and whatnot about how to do program evaluation, because it's something that nonprofits need to embrace but generally people that come into the nonprofit, they have the training in grant writing or they have the training in running the programs, but not necessarily how to gather and use data for program planning. So the other thing that I think it's important for listeners to know is that when you take your career path and you apply the skills that you've developed, that it's still good to have other things that you're interested in, right? So I'm still Mm -hmm. involved with music. In fact, my son, he's 15, and he and I play a lot. He plays drums, so we jam. Right? Mm-hmm. And my daughter is an artist. She'll be going to college this fall. 
And when COVID hit, we decided to do a children's picture book called The Piano that just came out earlier this year. It was published by Black Rose Writing. So it's like, even though my main job is evaluation into action and doing a lot there, I still keep my hand in the music world. Yeah. So just like keeping with your passions, even if it's not a like career or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about how you went from like brand strategist and author to what you're currently doing and just like all the kind of the steps that you took? Right. So one book I found really helpful is What Color Is Your Parachute? I don't know. Are you familiar with that book at all? Well, everybody should read it. It comes out it comes out every year, like a new edition, because what it's all about is what are you passionate about? What are your skills? What are your interests? And how do you look at identifying what career path is best for you? One of the key things I learned from that book was the application of language, right? So when I was applying for jobs like in the education realm, not as a teacher, but just like like at the Education Northwest, someone I met with, she was looking at my resume and she was like, you developed performing arts programs, you should call that curriculum development, right? So look, making mm-hmm. sure my resume matched the language for the jobs I was applying for. So I had the skills, it's just I had to repackage them a little bit differently so it resonated with the people receiving my resume. Well, the book you mentioned sounds pretty much exactly like what my project is trying to do. What then. color is your parachute? Yeah, because this is like about how, like, how some random skill that a teenager has can be important to you bet anything that they want to do in life. I have an example there, actually. So when I was in high school, in my summers, I did Center Stage, and it's a theater program. It's brought in teenagers from all over the area. And so we were 40 teenagers, and every day we did skill building in dance, music, theater. And then in the afternoons, we would practice a a children's musical. So we did that for four weeks, and then we took it on the road for two weeks. I don't know how these adults like coordinated this. Like <laughs> looking back, I'm like, I can't believe they did this. They took 40 teenagers on a bus, and we would like go and tour through like the Southwest, right, mm-hmm. and perform and sleep where we performed, and it was it was kind of crazy. So little did I know, like improvisational theater games that I learned back then. That's what I used in my business when I was teaching music and theater. So the improvisational theater classes I did in Colorado as a young adult, Mm -hmm. I learned all of those games in that high school program. So you never know, like you were saying, you never know what you might be learning or skill you might be acquiring or an interest or a passion that you're cultivating in high school could later become like that foundation from which your career takes off. So you have talked a little bit about like some of the skills that have helped you succeed, especially like self-confidence, but what are some other skills that have helped you succeed in life? Patience and persistence. And how did you develop those? I don't know. <laughs> really, they were instilled, I think, more from my dad because he was the same way and he really was like, unlimited possibilities. Don't be afraid to be told no. And I've been told no a lot, you know, but I've also been told yes a lot. So just to let the nose, let those roll off and keep going. So it's just about resilience and being clear on what you want and what you don't want and not being afraid to say it. Are there any skills that you're like surprised you use a lot? Any skills I'm surprised. Do you have any examples about skills? What have other people said? <laughs> well, 
I talked to an engineer this morning who was surprised that she used so much like networking skills and like talking mm. to people, mm-hmm. communication, mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. So even though that's not necessarily like the same for you because right yeah no you hit on something important so here's something that I really think should be taught in high school because it will benefit everybody with as they become adults is interpersonal skills and they're often called soft skills but I don't think they're soft skills I think they're critical skills being able to understand how to resolve disagreement in the workplace right without Mm -hmm. like flipping out or the you know the meeting that happens after the meeting when something doesn't go well in a large meeting and then people like break off and have their little quiet like disagreements and I can't grumbly grumbly that's so unhealthy for a workplace so how do you how do you interact with people in a meaningful way and communicate but still be able to have that healthy workplace where people aren't gossiping or low morale or whatever it might be so I think if more people built their interpersonal skill set at a younger age and Mm -hmm. understood the nuances of how to communicate effectively how to manage and all of those components I think that's a really critical skill that is, and the, thank you so much for bringing that up because <laughs> nobody's like mentioned that or anything, but it is very important. So on the flip side of the question I just asked, are there any skills that like you develop, worked on developing or thought would be incredibly important and they aren't as important as you expected they would be? Huh, skills that I developed that are not as important. Um... I can't think of anything right off the top of my head that comes to mind that would fall in that category. Yeah. I think I use pretty much all of the skills that I need. And I will find, like, as a business owner, within the realm of evaluation work, if there are skills I don't have that I need, I hire somebody. Like, I am, <laughs> I am really bad with editing. Like, I swear, I, sometimes I have a, my editor review emails before I send them out because I'm just like... You just make sure this is free of typos, grammar issues, la, 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 whatever. Because I could read something like 10 times and still miss the five typos in there. So I've learned one of my weaknesses for sure is editing. So I would say don't be afraid to recognize what you're not good at and get help there. Yeah. So starting your own business sounds hard. (laughs) So... Is it? What are some of the challenges? Well, I've done it twice, right? Yeah. Yeah, I did it as a piano teacher. And then I did it again as a program evaluator. I guess for me, what I like about having my own business is the flexibility that comes with it. And there's a lot of sales in being your own boss, right, of having your own business. And while I don't like the prospect part of like, but I do like the let's make sure you get what you need kind of Mm -hmm. sales and making sure that their program evaluation needs are being met. Or when I was like a piano teacher, I got piano students, you know, mostly word of mouth, right? Mm -hmm. But I think what I like about it, was it hard, was your original question. Was it hard? Sometimes it was a little unnerving, like, I hope I'm going to make enough to pay my bills this month, kind of hard, because there's no stable paycheck. Yeah. But it's also acknowledging that, so when things are going really well, don't spend it all, (laughs) right? Put put it away. So, because I have a, it's a small business, but it's, you know, it's kind of slow and steady. So... You commented on how many informational interviews you did. I did a lot. So how did you go about doing that? Who are you talking to? Mm -hmm. Great question. I learned about informational interviews from that book, What Color Is Your Parachute? It had a really great chapter. I still remember it, even though I read it. I don't even want to admit how many years ago now. (laughs) Anyway, so when I read that book, it, it talked about how 
businesses or how organizations typically look to fill a job, right? They usually ask within their network first. Like the last thing they do is post it out into the world, right? Because they, then they end up with 300 resumes. And it had this really nice like pyramid, if you will, that showed like how most organizations and businesses want to hire people. So that was a value in doing an informational interview is that way you're not bugging them for a job, but then they know who you are or they could pass you to somebody else who might be interested. So I started using that as a really effective networking tool. So I was able to then interview people and say, you know, this is what I want to do. And they would look at my resume and be like, well, maybe you should talk about this more than if this is what you want to do. And, and, and I always ended every informational interview with, with, is there anybody else I should talk to? And inevitably that led to, yeah, you should contact, you know, like name one to three mm -hmm. people. And then I do interviews with those three people. So I haven't, even though I've been in business for myself most of my life, I also don't generally ever had to do a job interview because most of the jobs I've ever gotten in my life has been through informational interviewing. So I think that is something for our listeners to really know about, not to be afraid to go do that. I'm, but I bug my kids to go do that now. <laughs> Right, and yeah. my son who's interested in being an engineer, I'm like, go talk to some engineers. That's a big field. Figure out what kind of engineering you think you wanted to go into. So <laughs> it really helps to like whittle down to understand what goes on in an actual job day to day. Something might sound sensational and fun to go into, but then when you talk to a few people that are doing it, you go, oh, wait a minute, maybe I don't want to go into that. And that can yeah. save you a lot of time. Yeah. So I think, I think if people are listening middle school, high school, it's not too soon to start doing informational interviewing. Get out there and start talking to people. Hmm. And thank you for bringing that up because uh, honestly, everyone I've talked to has like said something about how they were doing an informational interviews or if you want to pursue this career path, do informational interviews. It's but it's it's also important to mention that like you can do it when however young. You can. You can but I think start. the key is to also treat it like an actual interview, right? So after the interview is done, still write a formal thank you letter acknowledging that thank you for your time, here's mm -hmm. what I learned, and here are my next steps, let's keep in touch. Yeah. Like that is a really important piece that I think sometimes gets dropped, especially now with it's just so easy to forget to, to do it, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it's an it important a... part of networking is the follow-up. So kind of on this line, how would a teenager know if – they wanted to be a like business owner how like who would they talk to if they didn't want to like if they wanted to be what you are right so if they know they want to do be a small business owner in some capacity it's kind of a matter of like well what do you think you want to own a store be a small business owner you know store owner like a service like what I do like what what realm do you want to be in or do you just know like I knew I think from a pretty young age I was going to probably be an entrepreneur of some sort you know like I just was Selling in junior achievement as a kid and selling the little gum machines, they were ridiculous. But you know, I liked I liked the whole business part of being, mm -hmm. of being having my hands in all areas of the business. I did a lot of informational interviewing. That is how I got a lot of the information of what I want to do and what I don't want to do. Because I know, like for a lot of you know, like when I was younger, what I knew about was you know being a teacher, being a nurse, being like those things. And you don't learn about some of the like the wide range of different professions that are out there until you're older. So I think the way to know is to explore like what would your small business be all about? What is it you would like to be able to offer? But then also I know in high school they offer some business classes like introduction to business management. Take those. 
or take them at PCC when you're in high school, you know, or some, just something to give you a taste of what it's like. And then informational interviewing, right? Talk to a lot of people, find out the questions to ask in an informational interviewer is like, tell me about your typical day. How did you get into it? What do you like about it? What do you not like about it? Those kinds of questions. And then just see how that resonates. I think one of the key challenges in informational interviewing is getting at some of the pertinent information you need to really know if the career you're pursuing or want to pursue is actually going to be viable in terms of paying your bills, right? And, you know, I think it depends on where you live and what you want to do. You know, like when I was a piano teacher, I didn't make as much as a piano teacher as I make doing program evaluation. It's a very different, they're very different fields. Mm -hmm. That's not to say there aren't other piano teachers out there making way more than I did. It just depends. But I think in an informational interview, I think you have to kind of see how the interview is going and you can ask something like, I'm really curious. I'm really interested in this career. Is there anything I should know in terms of the cost of it or what I might be able to make? But honestly, the way I did that, I never asked that in an interview. Mm-hmm. I always looked it up online. Salary.com, you could just type in where you want to live and the kind of job you're looking for, and it'll give you some salary ranges. And that's how I was, that's part of how I looked into marketing. Like I was able to find out, I don't think salary.com existed back then. Maybe it did. But I know I did some salary research to figure out like what do I want to look at going into next. And that was how I landed on that as opposed to like getting just a general MBA wasn't as interesting to me. So your undergraduate is in psychology. What other career paths might you have taken if you Well, I really looked at the different arms of psychology, like looking into forensic psychology or counseling or any of those areas. And I was interested in educational psychology. That's part of what brought me back to Boulder, Colorado. But I didn't get into the program I wanted to get into at CU Boulder, at the University of Colorado in Boulder. So I was like, okay, now what? That's when I ended up teaching music and theater. That worked out. But, you know... I was interested in educational psychology because I thought it was fascinating to look at the psychology behind, like, you know, curriculum development at the government level or at the, you know, at the district level for a school district. But I haven't done, I never ended up doing that professionally because I didn't go that route. Yeah. What are some questions that maybe one wouldn't think of, but a high school, middle schoolers and high schoolers should be asking during informational interviews? I think ask about the career path. You know, of like asking, how did you decide to go into this? How did you get there? What's your degree in? And, and then, yeah, what do you like and what do you don't like? What's a typical day like? Right? I know, for example, for some people, it's really important that they're not at a desk 100% at a time. So then if they're doing informational interviewing and find out that whatever it is they're looking to pursue, you're at a desk 70 to 100% of the time, maybe that's not the best job to pursue then if you know you don't want to be at a desk. So is there anything you wanted to add to the podcast that I didn't ask? I think I've said it before, but I'm going to say it again because I think it bears repeating is that I think that the world is full of unlimited possibilities and you have to just kind of go for it and you have to be willing to fail and to get up and to go again. Because I think that's how resilience is built, that's how confidence is built. And you just have to, if you don't know what you wanna do, I think that's completely normal and okay. I can tell you there's plenty of 20 and 30 somethings that don't, or older, that don't know what they wanna do. The way to get there to find out what the next thing to do is, not what you're gonna do for the rest of your life, but maybe the next thing you're going to do or the first career you're going to have is by talking to as many people as possible and just trying it out. And just, you know, to be adaptable and willing to learn and to know that you may end up in a different career in five years than where you started. And that's okay. 
I started out wanting to be a rock star, but doesn't everybody, do <laughs> right? <laughs> Some kind of like pop so star, influencer, right. athlete, slightly unrealistic goal. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that you know, dream big, just go for it. All right. Well, thank you so much for thank coming you. out. Thank you for doing this. It was 